All right, go ahead and turn your Bibles tonight to the book of Exodus. I know that's a hard one to find. It's right after Genesis, second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 1. We're actually going to be looking at the whole book tonight. And uh, so just buckle your seatbelts, get ready, because we're going on a ride. Hey, y'all are tired tonight, aren't you? I can tell. I'm tired too. Uh, I was talking to one of the kids tonight before church, and, and I said, are you coming to church tonight? She said, no, I'm tired. I said, well, so is everybody else in America. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, I said, that's not God's fault that you're tired, so uh, thank you all for being here tonight. I know we're tired, but uh, let's, let's open our minds and ask God to give us energy to study and, and listen to His Word tonight. Uh, all right, Exodus, uh, book of Exodus. We're looking at the book of Redemption. And I'll explain a little bit more about what I mean uh, by that here in just a moment. Now, when we began our study in, in Genesis, we labeled it as being the book of beginnings. You remember, as we went through Genesis, I mean, that was all of our divisions was uh, we had the beginning of creation, and we had the beginning of this and that on down through, uh, and we even had the beginning of Israel, really, was the last uh, several chapters there in the book of Genesis, really chapter 12 on through chapter uh, through chapter 50, uh, isn't that what it is, uh, is all the, the beginning of Israel. And it goes into the patriarchs and how God called out Abraham and did all that. And, uh, of course, in the, in the ser- first several chapters, first 11 chapters, uh, we see the creation. Of course, the, uh, the peak of creation uh, was mankind. And uh, he was, uh, of course, made for relationship with God. Uh, and God made him mind, body, and spirit, of course, which... Uh, you know, gives us the ability to have that relationship with Him. Well, of course, we were made for that close fellowship. We were made for that relationship. God prepared a place for them uh, to dwell in communication with Him and a closeness with Him. And that place was called the Garden of Eden, right, which was their first home. The, the, the first home of the first family uh, was right there in the Garden of Eden. But something happened in chapter 3, and God's creation, man, uh, sinned against him and rebelled. And, of course, we know that that put separation between him and God. Uh, we see towards, I believe, the, the end of chapter uh, chapter 3 where it says that he drove out the man. Uh, and the word for drove out there literally is, uh, is could also be translated as divorce. And, uh, and so what happened is that relationship between God and man was severed. And, and we see that uh, communicated physically in the sense that they were driven out of that garden uh, that God had, had placed them in. And so, uh, of course, God redeemed them, and we know that He made a lamb, made covering for their sins, things like that. And uh, we could continue on through the story, though, and, uh, you know, regardless of the fact that, that Adam and Eve, I believe both, you know, of course, came back to God and, and were forgiven and all that, regardless of that fact, every other living human being after that uh, was made in sin. And so they, they were born in sin. And so as man populated the earth, well, sin populated the earth as well. And it got so bad that by the time we get to chapter 6 that it repented God. Uh, he was sorry that he had ever made man upon the earth. And so, of course, he cast judgment. And uh, that form of judgment was seen in, in the what? In the flood, right. You remember that part of the Bible where God sent a whole bunch of water and everything died? Y'all remember that? The flood? Yeah. Okay, so he sent the flood. And, uh, and then how did he deliver Noah and his family? Through the ark, right. I need to call our Sunday school class in here and see what's going on. All right. But yes, he delivered them uh, through the ark. 
And so, of course, uh, through Noah and his family, um, God brought them through the flood. And, of course, we know that he brought the, the animals through as well. Uh, but, but God brought Noah and, family, uh, and his family through the flood. Well, when they got back on dry land and began to repopulate again, well, of course, so did sin and so did idolatry. And people turned away from the true and living God. And so we, see a, we saw a world uh, epidemic that was really going on, and that was sin. And it was causing everyone, of course, everyone was separated from God. Everybody had turned to his own way. Everyone had become wicked. And so what God did is in this time, instead of uh, casting judgment upon man uh, in the sense of a flood or anything like that, uh, what he did is he actually uh, showed grace. And he called out a man named Abraham, and he said, I want you to get away from your country, your kindred, your family, and I'm going to take you to a land, and, uh, and I'm going to bless you there. And, of course, uh, Abraham followed God, God's command, and he went down to the land of Israel, just a very small piece of land uh, over in the Middle East. But uh, he went over to that land, and God made a covenant with Abraham. And who can remember the three parts of that covenant? Shout them out if you remember them. Blessing. Children. Children, okay, offspring. And land, right. Those are three parts of the covenant. God said, I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and you are going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to others, okay? So uh, land, offspring, and blessing were the the three parts of that covenant. And so God established that covenant with Abraham, and of course we see that covenant being passed down uh, through his son Isaac, through Isaac's son Jacob, and then through Jacob's 12 sons as well. And so in the last several chapters that we looked at, we were actually seeing how Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, how, uh, how Jacob, whose name was, is, was changed to Israel, how his children uh, began to develop what is known today as the, the nation of Israel. And so we saw that uh, some, you know, through, through Joseph, uh, of course, which was the second to the youngest son of, of Jacob, uh, through Joseph, uh, Israel and his family were brought down into the land of Egypt. And uh, when they got into the land of Egypt, if you remember, Joseph was highly favored in the land. He was second in command. And Joseph, uh, his family was welcomed uh, into the land as well. And Pharaoh actually gave them the best of the land of Egypt. I mean, they had, uh, you know, the most fertile land and, and places to raise their flocks and all those different things. And so uh, they entered into the land of Goshen is really what that, that piece of land was called, uh, Goshen. And there, of course, they were able to grow and to prosper. And so when they went into the land of, of Egypt, they were about 70 people. Okay, you remember that? And 400 years has come to pass now and, uh, and we find a family that started at about 70 has grown to a family of about 2 million. And so they really begin to flourish and really begin to prosper there in the land of Egypt. And that's where we find them here in the book of Exodus. And as a matter of fact, if we go ahead and, and just read the first several verses of Exodus chapter 1, it says, Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man and his household uh, came with Jacob. And it goes through different names. It says Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Ephtali, and Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and I want you to look at that last part, and all that generation. Okay? So this is them when they've come into the land of Egypt, okay? and, and they had peace, and they grew, and they multiplied. Okay, through all that time. And then it says Joseph died, all of his brothers died, and that generation died off, 
which of course took, took several years for all that to happen. And it says in verse 7, and the, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and all the land was filled with them. I want you to notice the, the word is there. Are you getting the idea that they grew? It says they, uh, they were fruitful. They increased abundantly. So they increased a whole lot, right? <laughs> they multiplied and they waxed exceeding mighty and the land was what? Filled with them. And so they really began to, to grow and really began to, uh, uh, you know, to multiply there and, and populate uh, the land of Egypt. Now in verse 8 is where we have the issue. It says, Now there arose up a king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. Now what do you think that means to the children of Israel? There arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. What does that mean? No more favor, no more favor for the children of Israel, right? He, he didn't remember what Joseph had done for Egypt. He didn't remember you know, why Joseph was there or why this family was there. All of a sudden this Pharaoh looks up one day and in his kingdom, the kingdom of Egypt, he looks out and he sees a whole other nation out there living on his land, eating from his crops and all this other stuff, and his eyes begin to open. Why are these people here? You know? And if we don't do something about this, they're going to overtake us. You know, they'll, they'll overrun us. And so, uh, of course, he began trying to stamp out uh, the children of Israel there from the land. And, and that is, is of course, the, the problem that we find uh, as we enter into the book of Exodus. Now, when we get into chapter 1, uh, we'll talk about that a little more in depth. But I just wanted to introduce you to where, you know, what the problem was uh, with the children of Israel once they enter into uh, the land of Egypt, or, or at least at this point at, in their time in Egypt. One of the things that the Pharaoh that was there that was speaking of here, he didn't feel an obligation to uphold the, the promises that the earlier Pharaoh had made to Joseph. Right. And you know, in, in providing the land, providing the food, and giving the best of what they had, you know, for for Joseph's family, uh, he didn't know who Joseph was. So, you know, what's the big deal? Right. Uh, these people are not our people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make my own cut. Right. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we'll get into uh, to more of that next week. Now, uh, as we continue on, although. It records, we're still talking about the book of Genesis here, although Genesis records the beginning of the world, the beginning of humanity, and other things of importance, ultimately uh, Genesis records the beginning of the nation of Israel. And so if Genesis is a book of beginnings, then Exodus is a book of redemption. And that's what we find here. They, they entered into Egypt in peace, but now they find themselves in bondage is where they find themselves. And so God is going to do what? Redeem them, exactly, yeah. And then he's going to deliver them out. Which, by the way, what do you think the word Exodus means? It reminds you of this sign right here, don't it? Yeah, they, they exit, they, they got out of, they uh, drew away from, uh, from the land of Egypt. Actually, the Hebrew name uh, Exodus really came from uh, whenever they translated the, the, Hebrew, the Old Testament into Greek, uh, which is called the Septuagint. That's where we get the name Exodus. The Hebrew name is actually uh, Samot which means these are the names. And actually, that's exactly, uh, when you look at Exodus chapter, chapter 1, verse 1, what are the first words that you find there? Now, these are the names. That, that's the Hebrew word, uh, the Hebrew name for the book of Exodus. These are the names. Um, and as you think about that, these names, what names is talking about is, is referring to the ones who were redeemed 
and brought out of Egyptian bondage. And so it really points towards uh, this being a book of redemption. The book of Exodus is to be read not separate from, but in connection to the book of Genesis. And so that's why it was so natural for us to just just fall right on in uh, to the book of Exodus because Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy are, are not five separate books that are be, be read in five separate contexts. I mean, they really uh, you know, pull together and they're just a continuation of, of one another. Uh, the first word of Exodus is the conjunction now. If you look in, in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Now these are the names. Anybody know what a conjunction is? We've got some English people in here. Who knows what a conjunction is? You don't know that? Conjunction. Anybody ever watch Schoolhouse Rock? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Do what? Oh, okay. Well, hey, that's, that's good enough. Yeah, the, uh, in English, a conjunction is a word that joins or connects two thoughts. And uh, so if I'm, if I'm saying, you know, I did this, blah, 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 and, blah, blah, and it's a conjunction, so it joins the two thoughts together. Well, as we look at Exodus, and uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, the very first word we see is a conjunction, which does what? It links it with something else. What was previous to it was Genesis. And so we continue on. Now, when you get to the end of the book of Exodus, Leviticus starts out with, guess what? And. The word and. Get all the way through the end of the book of Leviticus and you get into Numbers, and. And then, you know, on, on through. And so it's, uh, it's very interesting that uh, these books, these five books, are really to be read as one Torah, as one law, one Torah. And that's why it's referred to as the law. Uh, because it is really just uh, just one one uh, book, I guess, or one series of books. John Phillips compares Genesis and Exodus like this. He said, In Genesis we find the birth of the Hebrew family, which was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on. And in Exodus, the birth of the Hebrew nation, where, as we just read there, they multiplied and, uh, and you know, grew exceedingly. In Genesis, the priest was introduced as the royal priest, Melchizedek, in Exodus, the priest is the ritual priest, Aaron. In Genesis, the covenants are prominent. You remember as we went through Genesis, what did I keep saying? Over and over again, we're following the what? The covenant all the way through, you know, from chapter 12 on down. But in Exodus, the commandments are prominent. In Genesis, the lamb is promised. And if you remember, when Abraham took Isaac up onto the mountain, you know, and Isaac looked around and he said, all right, Dad, you know, I see the fire and the knife. Where's the lamb? And, uh, and Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb. Now, that spoke to the immediate problem, but it was also prophetic of God's supplication of uh, a lamb as well. And so we see in Exodus the lamb is provided, which also points to the lamb of God, right? Both, both of these point to, to Christ, of course. And Genesis, the emphasis is on the land, and Exodus, the emphasis is on the law. In Genesis, we hear the promises of God, and in Exodus, the precepts of God. Grace is the basis of one book, and government is the, the, uh, the basis of the other. And so I, I thought that was a very good you know, summation of, of what the book of Exodus was really all about. Let's look at an overview of the book, and, and what I want you to do is just kind of flip along uh, with me as we, uh, all these, ver- those are not verses, those are chapters, 
Uh, and so when you see one in parentheses or two through four, that's talking about the chapter. So if you'll flip along through with me as we, uh, as we go through this. The first uh, division that we find in the book of Exodus is preparation. Okay, so that's the first thing, that's the first little section we're going to look at is preparation. First of all, we have a preparation of the people in chapter 1. Uh, preparation of the people. Now what I mean by that is, uh, let's remember the fact that when, when the Israelites were brought into Egypt, uh, they were brought into a comfortable situation, right? I mean, they had peace in the land, they were able to grow in the land, uh, they had the best of the land, the fat of the land, all those different things. I mean, they were comfortable. So whenever, you know, I, I think it always in God's plan, Moses was going to come and, and fetch them out of, of Egypt. So let's say the guy calls Moses and he sends him, he says, he says, all right, all you Israelites, I've been sent by God to bring you out of Egypt and over into the land that He promised our fathers. And so let's imagine that none of this stuff in chapter 1 ever happened. They just remained in peace. They remained in comfort and things like that. And Moses shows up and he says, Hey everybody, we're moving. What do you think they're going to do? Uh-uh. No way, right? And really, they still pitched some fits even after all this happened. So what God had to do is He had to prepare the people. And that's what we find in chapter 1. You think it was just coincidence that a, that a Pharaoh rose up with such anger and malice against the Israelites? No. God had to stir the nest sometimes. And, uh, and that's what he was doing. And, and he had to make them uncomfortable. And so, of course, we, we see all the tragic things that happened there in chapter 1. Of course, God's hand is on in, in helping and protecting the people of Israel. But still we see you know, ill intent being uh, you know, directed towards them. And so we have preparation of the people. Well, then in chapters 2 through 4, Two, three, four. Excuse me. We have the preparation of the man. Now, what man am I talking about there? Moses. Of Moses, right? And uh, and that's exactly what's going on uh, in chapter two through four. We we see him being born. He's taken into Pharaoh's house. Uh, we we know that he spent some time there. We'll talk more about that as we go along uh, in our study. But we see him taken into Pharaoh's house. Then we see him going out into the wilderness, and then we see him being sent. You know, and so for eighty years, for eighty years, God is preparing carefully uh, this servant, Moses. And uh, I'll just go ahead and say it now, and I'll say it again later, uh, but really Moses' life can be divided. How old was Moses when he died? Anybody know? He was 120 years old. And Moses' life can be, can be divided into three sections. He spent 40 years at the palace, God preparing him you know, in the way of government and ruler, rulership, things like that. Then he spent 40 years in the field with sheep. With sheep. 40 years being a shepherd. And God taught him the lay, the lay of the land, taught him how to survive in the wilderness, and taught him how to, to lead a group of sheep. And he was going to find out that Israel and sheep were a whole lot alike, don't you think? And then for 40 years, he, the last 40 years of his life, he led them through the wilderness. And that's how Moses' life can be uh, sectioned out. Well, in, in chapters 2 through 4, we see those first 80 years being spent in the palace and in the wilderness uh, with God preparing him for the job that he was about to do. So God didn't just wait till he got 20 years old and said, hey, go get him and bring him out. He wouldn't have been ready. Right. There had to be preparation of his heart and of his life, and God did that in those chapters. As we continue on, uh, hopefully you're flipping along with me, and we're, we're over past chapter 4 now. I wasn't flipping along with me, so I can't get on you again. The second sec- uh, section of Exodus is a demonstration. We have preparation of the people and of the, uh, of course, of the man as well. But now we have a demonstration, and what I mean by demonstration is a demonstration of God's power and God's hand and all that's going on. 
Uh, in chapter 5, if you look there, just kind of skim down with your eyes through chapter 5, you'll see the proposition that Moses gives to Pharaoh. And he comes and he says, he says, Pharaoh, um, I've got to bring my people out. They've been called out of here, and I need to bring them out in the wilderness so they can worship. And, of course, Pharaoh's not going to go along with that, but that's what we find in chapter 5 is that proposition. Well, in chapter 6, Moses is very distraught because Pharaoh's not just giving in to this thing, and uh, he's very distraught. He goes back to God, and God says, I... He doesn't say it here, but in essence, he says, I promise you, they're coming out, and I'm going to make sure of it. And, and matter of fact, they're going to be glad to see you go when you do. And so in chapter 6, uh, you know, God makes that promise. In chapter 7 through 11, then we see the demonstration of his power through the plagues. And I guarantee you, by the time God gets through with Egypt, they're going to be helping them out. And, uh, and so we see the demonstration of his power uh, through those chapters. Now, if you, if you just skim through 7 through 11, you'll see all the different plagues. And, of course, the last plague... Uh, we're going to spend a little bit more specific time on the last plague, of course, being the uh, the Passover lamb, uh, which is actually going to fall into the next section, uh, which is uh, God's salvation. Okay, so in uh, in chapter one we have a we have a problem; they're in bondage, and so God prepares the people and He prepares uh, His man. And in uh, in the second thing we have is demonstration of power and all that. But now we see His salvation, where He's actually going to take them out of the land of Egypt, uh, just as he had promised uh, Moses. Now, and, and actually as he had promised Abraham as well. As we look at this, uh, this section of salvation, the first thing that we see is the Passover, and that is where uh, the Passover is not just about the lamb and, and all that, that, you know, I mean, that's definitely a huge part of that, but uh, the Passover was judgment that was cast upon Egypt, and God went through and he, he killed all the firstborn sons of Egypt except those who followed his plan of salvation which, of course, was the slaughter of the lamb and the application of the blood, which falls right into our plan of salvation too, right? And, uh, but anyway, that's chapter 12 is the Passover. Uh, chapter 13 is the actual exodus where they leave the land and, and they begin uh, you know, making their way on out. And then in chapter 14, we have the crossing. If you look at chapter 14, is actually where they uh, go across the Red Sea and are delivered from Pharaoh and his armies uh, once and for all. And by the way, when God gets through with Egypt, not only is there a recognition probably of, of Him as God, um, but I mean, He completely crushed the nation of, uh, of Egypt. And they, they grew to power after that, but they never grew to the, to the level of power that they were in before this happened. And, um, and, and we, we find that throughout history. They were never a, a world power like that again. Now, the next section of Exodus is separation. And I'll go back and, and I'll talk about this uh, a little bit more here in just a second. But uh, the fourth section is separation. And as the people left the land, let's remember that for 400 years, I'm sure maybe God's name was spoken. I'm sure that you know, there were some things, that, but really they, they were not true worshipers of God as they should have been throughout those 400 years. So they don't know God. They don't have a relationship with God. They don't know that they're supposed to depend on God, you know, on this one God for all of their needs. And so they get out, and guess what God does? He teaches them how to depend on Him. And, uh, and so, uh, of course, in chapters 15 through 18, he are, he, as soon as they get across that, that uh, river, or the Red Sea, excuse me, as soon as they get across the Red Sea, I mean, he starts in on those lessons. And uh, what's the first thing that happened to him? 
They're in the desert, got thirsty, right? And there's no water. God, why have you brought us out in this desert to, you know, to make us uh, thirst to death? And so God provided water. Next thing we see in chapter 16, I believe it is, I believe it is uh, they start getting hungry. You know, Moses, why did you bring us all the way out in the wilderness to starve us to death? And so God starts sending what? Manna from heaven, right, and provides for them. And then uh, in, in 17 and 18, we see again, uh, you know, just some more provisions of water and things like that in those chapters. And so they're learning dependence upon God. Hey, they didn't learn the lesson perfectly the first time, but neither do we do it. You know, God has to teach us seemingly over and over and over again, and He definitely had to do that with them as well. Now, in chapter 19, we have a meeting with God. So they've learned dependence upon God as they follow you know, Him through the wilderness. Uh, then they're going to have a meeting with God in, uh, in chapter 19 where God calls them to a mountain, a very famous mountain in the Bible called Sinai. Mount Sinai. Right. And they're going to spend a year there meeting with God uh, at Mount Sinai. And then, of course, in chapter 20, not only is there a meeting with God, and what, what I mean by meeting is they were li- literally physically camped you know, around this mountain or, or there at this mountain. And so God's presence was there on the mountain and they were camped there with, with Him. There was a meeting with God. But in chapter 20, they have an encounter with God. Now, Moses had, had gone up and, and you know, I think he had, uh, maybe at this point, no, I'm sorry, I think I have it out of order there. The first giving of the Ten Commandments, though, let me say it this way, the first giving of the Ten Commandments was not done by Moses. The first giving of the Ten Commandments was done by the voice of God Himself. And after they had all met there, Moses told them, he said, I want you to tell them for three days to, you know, they need to prepare themselves, cleanse themselves, dress themselves up, stuff like that, and, uh, and have them come and meet. I'm going to set bound- you're going to set boundaries around the, the mountain and everything, and they're going to come out and they're going to meet with me. And so they wait for three days, and that third day they come out there, and of course they're not supposed to pa- pass those boundaries because that mountain's holy. And uh, they, they get out there and they gather, and, and they're ready for this encounter with God. And all of a sudden lightning and thunder and all this other stuff starts happening around this mountaintop. And I mean the mountain scorched you know, with, uh, with His glory and fire and all that other stuff. And then He began speaking. And it, it describes His speaking like, what was the loud trumpet blast? And I mean, it's just loud. And, and I mean, I could just see them, you know, covering their ears and everything. And He gets through giving them the Ten Commandments. And they went to Moses. They said, from now on, Moses, you talk to God. But we, don't let Him talk to us again anymore, okay? You be God's man and you go up and talk to Him. But we're going to die if this happens again. You know, I mean, they were literally scared to death, you know, with this encounter with God. And, uh, you know, I, I always just get a little comedy out of that. But uh, that is a really cool set of verses. And, and chapter 20 is God actually giving him, you know, giving them verbally the, the law of the Ten Commandments. Then the last several chapters of Exodus, uh, in the last section, is sanctification. Um, and I'll talk a little bit in just a second. You know, the, the first one was separation. And then I have sanctification. What does sanctify mean? To set apart or separate something, okay? So it may sound redundant, uh, but what I want you to understand is is that in the separation that we have here, he's, uh, he's separating them from their Egyptian ways, separating them from, from all... And now in, this sanctification that I'm talking about here has more to do with, with holiness, and uh, it's him giving, giving them his holy laws and setting up his holy, his holy place and getting his holy priesthood and all that, which is what we see here. In chapter 21 through 23, we have the holy judgments. And there's just, 
you know, just kind of a series of law after law after law after law uh, in those chapters. Now, if you'll notice in, uh, in this next little section here, I actually have it split in uh, to, to two different sections of chapters. In chapter 24 through 27, we see the holy tent. Now, what was the holy tent? The tabernacle, right. All right, now these were the instructions for the tabernacle. In chapter 24 through 27, God's given the instructions. Well, then in chapters 30 through 38, they build the tabernacle. Okay, so I, I just kind of link those together because uh, they all pertain to the same thing. Now, same, same with, the priest, with the priesthood here. Excuse me. In chapters 28 uh, through 29, we see the instructions for the priesthood. And then in chapter 39, oh, later, a little later on, is where they actually set in order the, the priesthood. And then the very last chapter, chapter 40, is the holy presence of God in chapter 40, where the, uh, the people are, are separated, the priesthood is consecrated, uh, the, the building, or the, the tabernacle is erected, it's filled, it's ready to go, and then in chapter 40, the, uh, the, the glory of God comes down and, uh, and dwells the temple there where they are. And so now, uh, now he's not just a cloud ahead of them, or, or, you know, but he's actually living and, and dwelling among them. And, and that's what chapter 40 is, is all about. Now, when Leviticus opens up, uh, God calls forth from that tabernacle, you know, his presence being there in that tabernacle, he calls Moses and, and gives, you know, some commands there and everything. But in chapter 40 is where we see that, that presence being, uh, you know, of course, bestowed upon the tabernacle and in the midst of the people. Very, very interesting stuff. Wonderful, wonderful book uh, that we'll be going through. Now, in reflection, there's several things I want us to, uh, to consider here. Uh, a very basic way of looking at Exodus is like this. God spent the first 14 chapters getting them out of Egypt. Okay? Think about that. Just let that chew on it for a second. He spent the first 14 chapters getting them out of Egypt. He spent the next 26 chapters getting Egypt out of them. Now, it only took 14 to get them out. <laughs> but it took, it took the rest, and really, you know, there's, we could say... Uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, you know, I mean, just continue on. Uh, you know, but, but really that's what is going on here is we see uh, God getting them out of Egypt and then God getting Egypt out of them. What do I mean by that? Getting Egypt out of them. Egypt, yeah. Their ways, their worship, their, mind, their mindset, all those things he had to get out of the people. Uh, if they were ever going to really follow him or worship him the way that they should. He allowed some things to go on and then he punished them for those things all in the process of, of removing them uh, you know, from the people. And so we have to keep that in mind. As we, you know, sometimes you're just going to wonder, why did God do this? Or why did he allow this to happen? Or what, you know, but there, there's, remember, God's all-knowing. He's a lot smarter than we are. And, uh, and he knew what he was doing all along. Listen, God wanted to deliver his people. God loved Israel. He wanted to take them out of Egypt. He, knew, he saw their suffering. He heard their cries. He knew their need. And so with a mighty hand, God saved his people out of Egypt, but salvation was not the end of it. Okay, and this is what I want you to get, and this is what I find in the book of Exodus. God wanted more than just a relocation of the people. Okay, and that's what his salvation was. Exodus is them leaving Egypt and him taking them to the land. That wasn't enough. Okay, he wanted more than just relocation. He wanted a relationship with the people, a very personal relationship with them. And, uh, you know, let us be cautious, as I say this about the relationship, let us be cautious not to confuse what this relationship is. Uh, this was not to be a, a relationship between equals. 
Nikki and I have a relationship, okay? You and I have a relationship. I, me and, and other, you know, I have a relationship with, with other people as well. But my relationship with God needs to be very, very different. And I, I hear people talking about, you know, I speak to God like He's a friend. Well, I think you should. He's a friend that sticks closer to a brother. You know, there's lots of verses we could pull out about him being a friend, but you better be very careful how you speak to that friend. <laughs> All right, this isn't your buddy. This is God. And yes, he's a friend, but we need, we need to remember who he is. And so the relationship that he wanted to have with them was not an equal relationship, but the proper relationship with, between God and them was, was a God and man relationship where they're here and he's here and, and they recognize that. And follow that, and that's the relationship he wanted to have. That's that's what he's wanted to have with us all along: is to be our God and for us to be His people. And that's the relationship that he called them out for. And of course, that they were to display there in Israel, they were to be His showcase of humanity and what people could be like, and and what government could be like, and what the world could be like. You know, and uh, at least that was the idea of it all. And one day, it'll work that way. Now they needed to know His power. I want us to talk about the relationship here. And just realize that he didn't just bring them out and then you know, set them on their way, but, but he took time to teach them and to show them and, and do all these things. They needed to know his power, and so what did he do? He sent plagues. They needed to know his mercy, and so he required a lamb to be sacrificed. They needed to know his presence, and so he sent a cloud. What do I mean by the cloud? Right. From the time they left Egypt to the time, I believe until the time that they crossed over the Jordan, every time they picked up and moved, there was a cloud that led them. A, cloud of, a pillar of cloud by day and a, and a pillar of fire by night. Okay, And so they needed to know His presence. And I want you to think about that. As they moved on through the wilderness, I mean, there was a huge pillar of cloud you know, going before them. They couldn't forget God was there. Well, they did, but they shouldn't have, right? I mean, because, I mean, it was visible. It was, his presence was there. And so he sent a cloud. They needed to know his ability to provide. And so what did he do? He let them hunger and thirst. As long as we're providing for ourselves, we'll never know God's ability to provide. We wonder sometimes, why did God let them go thirsty? Well, they need to know where water came from. Why did God let them go hungry? Well, they need to know that too. They didn't know who, who provides for them. And so he allowed that to happen. They needed to know his laws. So what did he do? He led them out to a mountain and gave them his laws. They needed to know his jealousy. And so he let them build a calf. Now I want you to think about that. Did God know what was going on? Was he surprised when they finished that calf? No, 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 no. He's talking to Moses up there on the mountain, but he's looking down at the same time. You know, he's watching all this go along. And he's hearing everything that's said. He knows all the stuff that's happening down there. And he just lets it happen. And they finish. And they build that calf. And they worship it. And they dance. And they sing. And they do all this stuff around the calf. And then he says, Moses, you need to go, do, go down and do something about your people down there. You know, and, uh, and sends them on down. But uh, they needed to know his jealousy. And so he allowed them to go through that. And, of course, they were punished greatly for what they did. But, uh, but it was all part of that learning process. They needed a mediator to, you know, to, to stand between them and God, and so he provided the priests. They needed to worship. He gave them the tabernacle. They needed their God to be with them, and so in chapter 40, he came and dwelt among them. Relationship all the way through. Relationship, relationship, relationship. And that's what we find. Re redemption 
and relationship in the book of Exodus. The same is true for us. God saw us. He knew our need. He had compassion on us. And so He too sent a deliverer, which was Jesus. The Lamb of God paid the price for our sins through His death, and He led us out of bondage through His resurrection. He saved us. But that was just the beginning. That's, that's not where it started. He wasn't just relocating us in Christ. He had more in store for us. Salvation is not the end of our Christian life or Christian walk. I mean, it's, it's just the beginning. It's the birth, really. You know, exactly as it says. He got us out of the world through salvation, but now He has to get the world out of us. And that's an ongoing process, isn't it? Has it done it yet? It's still going, so He works and He works, and He lets stuff come into our lives. And then we blame Him for it. Oh, I hate you, God, because you let this... No, no, no. It's not about that. He's God. And we need to realize it sometimes. And so He lets He lets stuff happen. He lets stuff come in. He, uh, you know, he works with us. He, he's constantly involved in our lives to do what? To get the world out of us for us to walk with Him more closely. Okay, he wants a God and man relationship with us. And so... Again, He allows various trials and temptations to come through our lives. And this is not to harm us, but of course to draw us closer to Him. And so as we go through Exodus, I mean, there is just tons and tons of application for us today. And, you know, as we, as we see that big scope, that big picture of what Exodus is all about, you know, I hope this is really what we'll be learning as we go through too. You know, first of all, that redemption for them, the Exodus from Egypt was, was just the beginning of their story. But, uh, but God had a long process by which He, you know, he brought them uh, not only out of Egypt, but, but then brought them to a closer walk and a closer relationship with Him. The tragic story of Israel is that they never allowed God to complete that. They never let God finish. They bucked against His, his working in their lives. And eventually, God said, I'm going to provoke you to jealousy. I'm going to take a people who are not my people, and I'll use them to finish the job that I called you for. And here we are. And God saved us. He's redeemed us. He wants relationship with us, and so He's working constantly in our lives for relationship. And we're going to have to make the same choice. Are we going to are we going to follow him? Are we going to let him work? Are we going to buck up every every time he begins to work with us? And that's going to be, I think, a proven factor, not of whether or not we get to heaven, but whether what our relationship is like here and, and how useful we are to him here. And uh, so anyway, just keep that in mind. Anybody with a thought or word before we leave? Question anything? we got 12 minutes for 8 o'clock, so if you got something on your mind, just go ahead and share it. We'll, we'll talk about it. So we're going through the same study as I've already shared with you. Uh, I'm teaching at our church in, in there in Hot Springs. Uh, right now we're just arriving to the uh, setting in order of the priests. Mm-hmm. Because as as you study these words, 
you see that uh, what what applied to the Israelites during that time applies to us today. Mm -hmm. That because God's word is a living word, that that yes, he he, he wanted to bring Israel around for for the great job they had. But as you just mentioned, he gave that job to us to complete right. because they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And so everything that he taught them and everything that he told them and all the the expectations that he had of them, he had them of us as well. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I think it's it's a very good comparative study uh, between their relationship with God and our relationship with God. Right. Yeah. All right, anybody else a thought? Question anything else?